Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And this is part three of our Stuff Mom Never Told You plus Lean In series. And today we are kind of stepping outside of the workplace to look at life surrounding and intertwining work and debunking this idea of work-life balance. Yeah, Sandberg focuses a lot in her book on on just the fact that there really is no such thing. You there really is in in this day and age with our smartphones and whatnot. There really is kind of a blurred line now between our personal lives and our work lives. And we kind of shouldn't be expected and maybe can't be expected to be two completely separate people. Yeah. And there's this idea that I hadn't thought about before, before I read Lean In, that really framing it as a work-life balance and trying to achieve some perfect balance between the two often is an exercise in futility that we may be wasting a lot of energy on instead of just embracing the fact that the two collide and they're going to collide and intersect all of the time. And the chapters that we're focusing on for this discussion come from chapter eight, making your partner a real partner and chapter nine, which is the myth of doing it all. Um, so just to kick things off, We are working a bunch, (laughs) especially if you are married with kids. For instance, in 2009, married middle income parents worked eight and a half more hours per week compared to parents in 1979. But you're still expected to go home and do all of the things that parents did in 1979. On top of probably more work. From home. Right, yeah. Uh, a 2012 survey found that 80% of working adults work after leaving the office. I mean, how many times do you get emails after hours? Like, I mean, it happens all the time because people are still plugged in and they're expected to be plugged in. Exactly. And especially for moms out there, this is something that we've talked about a lot and stuff mom never told you, motherhood and career and work and how all of those things tie together. Um, and and it, the fact of the matter is, it's... So much work out there for moms because one analysis found that among working parents, moms do 40% more childcare and 30% more housework compared to working dads. And that leads to a lot of unequal leisure time. I mean, I, I know I would be resentful. Um, so a 2009 survey found that only 9% of people in dual earner marriages say they share housework, childcare, and breadwinning evenly. But this isn't to place blame immediately on husbands and dads' shoulders saying, you know what, if you would just do the dishes more, then everything right. would be fine. No, there might be first a need for us to look at ourselves. What are we doing? Are we maybe kind of claiming that housework and childcare as our own rather than taking a more collaborative approach. Because, for instance, wives who engage in gatekeeping behaviors do five more hours of family work per week than wives who take a more collaborative approach. If you're sitting there, like, looking over your husband's shoulders when he's loading the dishwasher and saying, oh, actually, that's not going to fit there, no. And I'm saying this 
as a very anal retentive dishwasher loader. Oh, for sure. Me too. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta let go sometimes. Or, you know, do what you're good at. Kristen is good at loading the dishwasher. I, for one, rearrange, I go behind my, my dude roommate and rearrange the con- dishwasher completely. Cause I'm like, why, why would you just put a glass in the middle like that? Exactly. You've got to line it up on the sides. That's my strength. Vacuuming? Oh, God. Just, can someone else do the vacuuming? Like, I don't mind doing it, but I don't want to do it all the time. And I don't, oh, our apartment living room is so big. So it would probably save you and dude roommate time if you just do the dishes, do that dishwasher to your heart's content. He does the floors. Right. Yeah. He is much better and and actually chooses to pick up things off the floor. You know, he might throw my shoes in my room. That's fine. I don't take that as passive aggressive or anything. But that's his strength. So it's it's better to work to your strength and allow your partner, spouse, roommate, whoever, to do what they're good at, too. Allow them to take some of that responsibility off your shoulders instead of being like, well, no, but I want to change all the diapers and I'm better at putting the trash bag in the trash can. And well, no, but I vacuum better. Like instead of claiming all of that, give some of it up. Exactly. And also... Find a partner who is cool with accepting the stuff that you want to give up. This was something that I really appreciated Sandberg bringing up in the book, which is the importance of choosing a partner wisely. Uh, she writes, I truly believe that the single most important career decision that a woman makes is whether she will have a life partner and who that partner is. Right. And she even urges people to date all of the wrong people. I mean, she says that her advice is to date the bad boys, the cool boys, the commitment phobic boys, the crazy boys. But don't marry them. The things that make the bad boys sexy don't make them good husbands. And I can totally see what she's saying, because it's not so much. okay, well, you can't marry somebody who's cool or whatever. But like you just want somebody who will support you in your decisions, whether that's to work 70 hours a week or whether that's to work from home. Yeah. And that's such a crucial starting point because I feel like a lot of the research focuses on where women are by middle age. They're probably married. They probably have kids and talking about the whole uh, juggling act of all of those things. But it's so important and worthwhile to take it a few steps back and say, okay, why don't we start from square one, which is, all right, if we want to partner up with somebody, let's think more about who we partner up with. Is that some someone going to be able to support our ambition in our career? Right. And then once you've gotten to that point, she stresses how important communication is. Yeah, actively communicating with your partner about going 50-50 is obviously a really good thing to do of saying, you know what, you do this, I'll do that, let's play to our strengths. And that's one way that you can practice the consciousness that Gloria Steinem talks about when she says it's not about biology, but about consciousness. Right, going ahead, like I was saying earlier, like establishing what your strengths are and what your partner's strengths are and working from there instead of going ahead and establishing early in the relationship or early in the marriage that you are going to be the one shouldering both work and all of the home life. Yeah, because if you adopt the roles of, say, cook and caregiver first thing, whether you have you know, a, a prince or a toad, 
he's probably just going to be okay with it, you know, and kind of by no fault of his own, just be like, oh, okay, well, sure, you can cook dinner. That's totally fine. And when I was reading this, it totally resonated with me because I have had to take a step back from cooking all of the time, doing grocery shopping all the time, doing, although my boyfriend is very adamant that he does his own laundry, which I'm fine about. (laughs) But, uh, but I realized, and it wasn't before I read this, to be honest, I realized that I had just taken on all of these roles. Mm -hmm. I was doing everything. And it wasn't that he didn't want to. It was that I wasn't giving him a chance to. Right. Yeah, I mean, it was the same thing with Dude Roommate. Like, I was feeling so resentful because I was doing everything to clean up this frickin' apartment. And finally, I just told him, I was like, you're, dri- you're driving me crazy. Like, I'm going to end up, like, I don't know, setting all your shoes on fire or something. And he finally was like, okay, he finally chipped in and started doing some of the, the counter wiping down and some of the vacuuming. Yeah, and and that's why Sandberg talks about how if you want 50-50, you got to ask for it, first of all, and then, crucially, step back enough to let it actually happen. And I still have to stop myself. Mm -hmm. And it especially comes up with the dishwashing things, which makes me, once I realize that I'm doing it, I, I feel a little bit crazy because, you know, like... Thinking about like, oh, I'm not one of those women who stands over her boyfriend's shoulder tisking while he incorrectly, you know, washes the the Tupperware. But I totally do it. Mm-hmm. I totally do it. So I just have to step back. Just like, no, actually, you're. I'm gonna go in the other room. I'm gonna read and relax, and it's totally fine. Yeah. But it's all about just raising some awareness with yourself. To begin with, but also recognizing like what your psychoses are. For instance, like my my roommate and I've mentioned this before on the podcast. Like he is super psychotic about stuff. He isn't so much like a clean freak as he is a neat freak. I'm the other way around. I don't care if stuff is spread out all over the apartment as long as it's not grimy. And so, like, you know, I will come out of my room or you know come home and he will have cleaned and like things are stacked in like a really weird place and he's like moved all of my personal belongings in front of my door and it's like okay let go you wouldn't clean like this but this is how he cleans and he just sees these things as like interlopers in the living room space and they need to be removed so that's how he does it i've got to let it go yeah yeah i've had to relinquish some of my neat freakness as well i'm just saying okay Cleanliness often <laughs> resides on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. I'm at more of the high end of the spectrum, and my boyfriend is more middling. He's not low, but middling. And uh, he can at least, it's not that he uh, wants to live in a pigsty, but it's that dishes can sit in the sink for a while, or the floor can look a little bit dirty for a while, and it's not going to be the end of the world. Right. Whereas I want to clean when I come home. Well, you have a lot of floor space in your apartment. I do have a lot of floor space, so. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> well, no, I'm just talking about the amount of sweeping. Yeah, it's, it's it's a lot of sweeping. And I know that these kinds of things, talking about dishes and cleaning, etc., seem so negligible and, and maybe seem like minor points if we're talking about career and capital C career. But it's time. And it's time that either takes away from our work or contributes to stress all around. And I do think that it makes a major difference. 
For sure. I mean, yeah, if you feel like you have to work eight, nine, ten hours a day and then come home and continue working. But that work is sweeping and doing dishes like it's crazy making. Yeah. And it just gives you it gives you no extra time. And the benefits of 50 50 partnerships, not just at home, but also in the workplace have very real results. There was a finding that Sandberg talks about in the book, which is that the risk of divorce reduces by about half when a wife earns half the income and a husband does half the housework. Yeah, that would be 50-50. That would be 50-50. And that would be nice, too. I know my mother. Well, I just like look at my parents. You know, they've been married for so long. And my mother's like, I would just really love it if he would chip in. I'm like, how long have you been married? You know, and my dad does. He, If you look at it more objectively, my dad does do a lot. He does everything outside. He does all the bill paying, all the financial stuff. My mom is the one who does more of the like cooking and cleaning and laundry and that kind of stuff. So it's like as an outsider who lives 30 minutes away from them, thankfully, um, I can I can see that they do a lot of equal work. It's just that when you feel like you're the one who's putting in all of the time doing something, you know, that can put a strain on things. Absolutely. Um, and one thing that we might want to liberate ourselves from, too, that can put a strain on us mentally and, and make those differences feel even bigger than they are is just abandoning this notion of having it all. This is a phrase I feel like has been coming up ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. In magazine articles focused on women, it's always focused on women. It's blog posts, it's tweets, it's everything talking about, can we have it all? Oh, we can't have it all. No, well, maybe we should. You know what? I'm going to say, let's just forget about those words. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Forget about them. I mean, Sandberg calls it the trap, the biggest trap ever set for women. Um, and I would, I mean, I would kind of agree. I think it's more important to, (laughs) this is going to sound totally hippy dippy. I think it's more important to find your happiness and your happy spot and your sweet spot in life in general, more than it is to try to have some like magazine created ideal of having it all. Yeah. Because then the question is, well, what is all that's going to be different to everybody? Right. When I, when I hear the phrase having it all, I picture a stock shot online of a woman in a business suit with a briefcase and a baby and a cell phone. And she's very slim. Yeah, she's very slim and has impeccable hair somehow. Yeah. I would love impeccable hair, but I can't have it all. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was a quote from the book. It says, long-term success at work often depends on not trying to meet every demand placed on us. The best way, and I highlighted this a million times, the best way to make room for both life and career is to make choices deliberately to set limits and stick to them, which sounds radically different and also radically more manageable than some idea of having it all. Well, not only the idea of having it all, but the idea of I'm going to feel guilty if I don't take it all on. You know, that idea of relinquishing that guilt of like, no, I, I'm human and I need to set these boundaries for myself and for you as the person who's depending on me. If I tell you I can deliver X, Y, Z, whether you're my partner or my coworker, you know, if I tell you that I can do all of this stuff and then I have a nervous breakdown, you're going to be like, where's that TPS report? And I'm like, I couldn't do it. Right. <laughs> and and that this resonates not just with our TPS reports, <laughs> metaphorically speaking, but also 
with those things at home of the cooking and cleaning and all of the unpaid work mm-hmm. of maybe relinquishing some of that, letting it get a little messy every now and then and not worrying about it because the idea of striving for having it all is just chasing some made up construct. Right. Exactly. And a lot of other women have realized these kinds of things. Um, Tina Fey, one of our favorites in her book, Bossy Pants, she talks about this idea of having it all and the fact that you are, as a woman, so judged for whether you have it all and how you got there. She says, what is the rudest question you can ask a woman is, how do you juggle it all? People constantly ask me with an accusatory look in their eye. And again, that image that you talked about of the well-dressed, pants-suited woman with the briefcase and the baby looking harried, but also put together mm-hmm. at the same time, I feel like sums all of that up. I mean, yeah, bleh, that idea of having it all, unless we get like 12 more hours in each day somehow, I, you know, I mean, but then I would just use it to sleep, let's be honest. <laughs> Um, Sandberg also cited Dr. Lori Glimcher, who's the dean of the Wheel Cornell Medical College, who was talking more about balancing career and child care. But I felt like her advice really resonated to women like us who might not be married with children. Uh, she said, I had to decide what mattered and what didn't. And I learned to be a perfectionist only in the things that mattered. Oh, this is something I struggle with all the time. Because I want, I want to do my best. And this goes back to our whole self-doubting issue that we talked about before. Our whole like feeling like a fraud and I'm not good enough and I have to put in a thousand percent or people are going to think I'm like, you know, terrible at my job or, or my life or whatever. Um, I mean, I, I also struggle with, no, pick the things that matter, like the things that are really important at work, but also the things in life that really make you happy. Pick those things and put your energies into them. Don't try to be everything to everybody. Yeah. That is a recipe for Anxiety City. (laughs) For sure. No, trust me, it is. Um, There's also the great Nora Ephron, who in her 1996 Wellesley commencement speech said, It will be a little messy, but embrace the mess. It will be complicated, but rejoice in the complications. It will not be anything like what you think it will be like, but surprises are good for you. And don't be frightened. You can always change your mind. I know. I've had four careers. And three husbands. I think she's totally right. You're looking at a girl who went to three colleges in four years. Like, I don't, I try to pursue the things that make me the happiest. And if that means getting a little messy and transferring a lot of times, uh, then you've got to do what you've got to do. Exactly. And, and Sandberg herself says, if I had to embrace a definition of success, it would be that success is making the best choices we can and accepting. And to me, part of that is unbalancing this whole work-life balance notion that we hear over and over and over again. And I understand why, because thinking about it, yeah, like it, it makes sense, but sort of in the same way that having it all maybe is leading us astray, mm-hmm. focusing on work-life balance makes it sound like we can neatly discriminate between, oh, well, this is this is my work self. Yeah. Now, this is my life self. Right. Well, I have a great real life example. This is not my example, but my friend Brandon um, does Humans of New York on Facebook. Maybe you've seen it. He uh, posts a lot of pictures from New York, obviously. And he took this picture of this older gentleman in a park and he starts talking to him and 
they have this conversation that Brandon writes about where he's like, you know, what is your greatest achievement or what advice would you give to a large group of people? And the man starts talking about how, you know, he's proud that his children grew up to be the great people that they are, the successful people that they are. But how filled with regret he is that he was so focused, laser focused on, you know, climbing the ladder in his career that that was his focus. He was glad he could provide for his children and he was glad they turned out okay. So when Brandon said, you know, would you regret it if you had given up a few rungs on the ladder to have been home more often? And the man said, no. You know, like that's that's a person, that's a real life person who didn't have whatever balance we are seeking, whatever your version of balance is. He And he regretted it, but... You know, so I, I take that that man that Brandon spoke with as a great example of like, find what makes you happy and find it before it's too late. Yeah. And I think one of the first steps along the way to doing that is dismissing this idea that it's even possible to have it all, that that even that, that even makes sense in any way whatsoever and that it's not going to get a little messy sometimes along the way. Mm-hmm. Now, that's totally fine. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, the more we can kind of accept that, then that can possibly lead into, I don't know, opening up some breathing room in the workplace day to day as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that listeners have lots of experience with this as well. So I'm curious to hear from folks about what they think about that idea of work-life balance. Do we need to unbalance the work-life balance? Do we need better language or just get rid of it and start fresh? I don't know. What, what, what do we do about this? Yeah, I, I want to, I do want to hear how people do achieve any sort of balance or, you know, are you in a super corporate environment and, and you're working with maybe your superiors to help achieve some sort of flexibility or, you know, do you feel like you're slaving away in a, in a little box all the time. Let us know your thoughts. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can email us. We also highly encourage you to check out what is going on with Lean In. It's not just a book. It is also a movement. So head over to leanin.org. They also have a great Facebook network, not surprisingly, since (laughs) COO of Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg, is at the helm of this. They're at facebook.com slash leanin. And there you can find a lot of women who are sharing their experiences. And you can share there as well and next week we're gonna tie up our series it's gonna be over caroline what are we gonna talk about uh we're gonna talk about the word bossy and why that is a four-letter word so with this series we will have started square one with negotiation we're gonna end things at the top of the ladder when we're hopefully the boss Right, Caroline? That's right. So tune in next Friday for the conclusion of our four-part series in partnership with Lean In. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.